In the name of Jesus, we give you praise, we give you glory, we give you honor for being our God. We thank you that we can come into your house of worship again, Lord. We do not take it grant for granted or take it lightly that we were able to wake up this morning and that we were able to get into our cars and our cars would start, God, that we were actually able to make it here safely without incident because we don't know what the future holds. We don't know when we walk out that door if we will make it back in. We assume that we're going to be able to go home and see our families, but God, if we had learned anything of recent events, that leaving your home does not mean you're going to come back to those that love you and the ones that you love. So God, we ask that you just be with us and touch our hearts, that we stay in a, uh, an attitude of gratitude, that we respect and admire and thank you for everything that you've done, no matter how small. Somebody didn't wake up this morning, God. Someone didn't come home last night, God. Somebody got a knock on the door from the police department informing them of a tragedy, God. We ask that you just touch those families that are dealing with new normals. And whether the new normal started this, uh, this morning, last night, or two weeks ago, we ask that you be with them, God, and know that you have a plan. That day of you, you had ordained this from the beginning and you knew exactly what was going on from the beginning, from jump, when this whole thing was nothing but water. You knew what we were going to do. So, God, we ask that you continue to surround them and give them your peace, that they are surrounded by your angels, that when there are times when they feel alone, that they feel your comfort and your peace, that at times that they are sad, that joy just overbounds them, that when they get to a place of depression, they are flooded with the good memories of the loving times, the positive words and encouragement, the support the unconditional love of a mother for a daughter. Lord God, we're so thankful this morning to see the Petite family here, and we just lift them up, especially Sister Monica right now. Let her know that she is with you, that you are with her, and that her church family is with her as well, that we are constantly and abounding in prayer with her and their family at all times, God. Be with them and give them peace. Be with her and give her comfort in this time. It is not easy to see people transition, but we know that it is something that has to happen. So God, we ask that we continue to have more understanding of your plan and, and an appreciation for the life while we're still here. And Father God, as we move forward, we ask that you touch all the lives of those who are here, those who couldn't make it, and those who wish to be here, uh, that their hearts will be touched and that something will happen that will have them in your house. Not necessarily this house, but a house of God where they are destined to serve, committed, and building themselves up to be the people that you have called them to be. And so, God, as we move forward, I ask, Lord, that you keep me hidden behind the cross, that you may be lifted up, that I may be hidden, and that you receive all the glory. Please, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh, Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's so good to be here in the house of God again. I, I never take it lightly that when I wake up, because I can tell you, uh, and I'm sure some of my older members can attest, that uh, as you get older and you start feeling certain things happening and you're questioning whether or not this is right or what something's wrong, uh, that when you wake up the next morning, you realize how grateful you are because that pain in your left shoulder was just an ache and not the indication of a heart attack. <laughs> oh, Lord, you, got, you just don't know, especially when you're overweight. 
that becomes very real uh, to wake up in the morning and say, I'm still alive. So I'm thankful for God that I'm still here. Uh, I mean, it didn't happen last night. I didn't have a pain in my arm. But there have been nights that I've gone to sleep uh, uh, with an ache in my left arm and concerned, ooh, Lord, should I be taking an aspirin tonight before I go to bed? Uh, should I be doing, should I be calling folks to let them know if anything happened, I love you. Don't ever forget that. Uh, before I forget to, uh, because I, I, I don't know how service is going to go, we didn't acknowledge the February birthdays last week, and I do know for certain there's one birthday we have. Do we have any other birthdays besides my dad for February? Next, actually, next Sunday will be his birthday, uh, number 76. So, happy birthday to my dad. My hero, uh, the man who I remember once upon a time, he called me a giant, and I remember saying, if I could just be a quarter of the man that you are, I would be doing great. Uh, so happy birthday to my dad. Uh, again, Sister Monica, we have are in prayer for you. We do have a, a sympathy card signed from everybody here at church for you and your family, and we will be making a donation on your mother's behalf, as you have requested on Facebook. Uh, for those who don't know her mother's uh, celebration, homegoing, so homegoing celebration or memorial will actually be next Saturday at what time? 11 a.m. 11 a.m. Uh, at her church. Uh, I know it's in the Compton area. Holy Chapel Missionary Baptist. Holy Chapel Missionary Baptist Church. Uh, so uh, Saturday, 11 a.m. I know I will be there, and uh, and I know uh, there's. I think actually Chantel said she didn't work next Saturday, so. If nobody else is going to be there, we go be there with you. But I know that, uh, you know, the heart of the people here, there will be more than me and Chantel uh, sitting there at Holy Cross uh, with you and celebrating your mother's life with you. Amen? Amen. Uh, Chris had asked me, and I know that other people are thinking the same thing, too. Uh, no, I am not trying a new look. <laughs> I had shaved off my beard to go back to the goatee. Uh, but after not shaving for I don't know how long, uh, these razor bumps were driving me crazy. So I decided I'm going back to the beard. But in order to get to the beard, you got to start from scratch. Uh, so I will be going back to the beard next Saturday, next Sunday. It will be a different look. As well, this was not something I'm doing for Samsung or a change. But <laughs> it's just process. Transformation is what's going on. Uh, anyway, as a reminder, Sunday, March 1st, this will be our new location, 17800 Main Street, 101. Bishop Hilton said that he was, uh, I think he's supposed to have the keys uh, already, and if, if I'm not mistaken, we'll get our set of keys either this week or next week uh, to our new location. I know they're planning to move all the stuff that they uh, took out of the old place into the new one. Uh, and I'm, I'm really grateful and, and thankful, even though it kind of at times or most of the time felt like we were squatters here, still very thankful uh, to the Church of God, uh, City of God, City of God Church family uh, and their pastor, Apostle John Brown, uh, for allowing us to uh, be here because they didn't have to, uh, but they did. Uh, but we are so grateful and we're moving into a new season. Uh, and starting Sunday, March 1st, that will be our new location. So as we move forward, just a reminder, 
of our theme for 2020 was revolutionary love. This was the scripture that we had, had identified that we were lifting up, 1 John 4, 8 through 11. Uh, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be, be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. This was the scripture we had lifted up for the theme for 2020. And you can see how many times God has used the word love in this passage. And he's, essentially, he is not giving us this uh, suggestion. He's telling us this is what we have to be. I sent my son to die in your place for your stiff-necked, hard-headed ways. Uh, but I loved you. And because I loved you and the way that I've demonstrated this love to you, you need to love everybody else. He didn't put the conditions on there like we like to do as human beings. I will love you as long as you love me. I will love you as long as you show me that you respect me. I will love you as long as, as you demonstrate that you at least care about me. I love you as long as you do what I tell you to do. He didn't say any of that. He just says, love one another. One another. Without question, without condition, without putting anything on it, just love them like I have loved you. And that's what we're striving for for 2020. That as we transform from 2019 coming into 2020, that we are starting to practice love revolutionary style. And I remember this quote from Jason Bradley. Love is not some small-minded ideal that we bypass on the way to weightier theological principles. Love is PhD-level Christianity. And I love the way he ends. In our pursuit of Jesus, we will spend the rest of our lives learning to love more passionately, intimately, intentionally, and transformationally. There is no higher call. There is no higher call than to love each other. There is no higher call than to love your brother as yourself because Jesus said it himself in church in front of the church folk when they questioned him, what is the greatest law? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. But here's something else you got to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. There is no higher call than to love, whether we are loving God or whether we are loving our brother. But the whole point of this whole thing is to get closer to God so that we can love more passionately, be more intimate with each other, and love each other intentionally and transform ourselves and each other. Period. Not sit here like we've been doing for so many years, just church. Just calling ourselves Christians, just doing the motions instead of actually intentionally, transformationally, intimately, and passionately loving each other. And that's where we're trying to go and understanding that there is no higher call. So today, our scripture comes from the New Testament book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, the second book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, 
chapter 11, verse 25 to 26. And these words of our Lord and Savior said, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Those are some strong words from our Savior. He is assuming that we're going to be praying. A lot of us don't pray, or a lot of us don't have regular prayer lives, but he's saying, whenever you stand praying, if there's something going on, move past it. Because if you move past it, God is going to move past your mess. But if you can't move past the stuff that's happening with your brother and your sister, God ain't moving past your mess. That's as plain as I can put it. Whatever mess there is, you better get your broom out and start pushing it to the corner so you can sweep it up and throw it away. Don't leave it laying out on the floor where everybody can see it. Clean up your mess that you have with other people so God can forgive your mess. And so today we want to use as a theme when forgiving gets hard. Because Lord knows it ain't easy. When forgiving gets hard. And you can see some of these things that are, that are listed uh, here are the same things that, that are in our emotional bags that we've been lugging around, we've been talking about for the past few weeks. We've been dealing with all these things that is stuff that we are lugging around and we're putting in bags that we've been carrying around for years. It's anger, being upset, aggression, hostility, violence, uh, just all this stuff that we've been choosing to keep in these bags. We pack each day, packing it more and more. And each day it becomes heavier and heavier. And each day we are struggling more and more to get rid of this stuff. And if you recall, in several of these uh, sermons about baggage, the one thing or one word that remained constant through each one is forgiveness. You cannot empty your baggage carrying around unforgiveness. If you have resentment, bitterness, anger, whatever it is, if you haven't gotten to the place of forgiveness and you think you unpacked your bag, that's basically, you have been taking this stuff out, sitting it into another bag. You're just taking it from this bag to that bag. And in some cases, you, what you actually have done is taken the duffel bag and got a carry-on suitcase. And then when the carry-on suitcase gets filled, you get the mid-size suitcase. And then when the mid-size case is too big, you get the bigger case. But we haven't taken anything out. We just keep putting more and more and more in this until we're walking around the airport with a cart with three or four bags and some of us 10 and 12 bags of emotional junk. Ask this question to myself, and I don't know if you've ever asked for your, yourself sometimes. Why is it so hard to forgive? Because we've all been hurt with situations. We've all been disappointed by things or by people. We have seen things happen that have rubbed us the wrong way, and we know we need to move past it. But why is it so hard 
to forget. And I was kind of scanning the internet and was looking at different things, and here were just this, this all the lists I'm about to give you are not all inclusive. These are just some things. Uh, one is that we feel they don't deserve to be forgiven. We feel that what they did was so egregious, they cannot be forgiven, or at least I can't be forgiven. Second, they need punishment. They have to pay, which goes into the next one. I need that revenge. Not only do they have to pay, I have to be the one to dish it out. Because what they did to me, I just can't let this go, so I got to get them back. The other thing they said is that if we believe that it is a sign of weakness, that if I actually say, I forgive you, somehow or another, we have displayed a level of weakness. We have given them power over us when it is thus just the opposite. Uh, Glenda Green said, you cannot afford to withhold forgiveness. Nothing will destroy your life more surely, for there is great hidden grief in the denial of forgiveness. And if you really think about that on the times that you have really held on to something that really, really got you, to that person who you refuse to talk to, there is hidden grief in the denial of forgiveness. It hit me like a ton of bricks looking back over my life when I've been at that place where I did not want to forgive or, or saying that I had moved past things that I hadn't moved past. There was great hidden grief. Uh, that reminds me, and in Bible study, a question was asked, uh, is it really baggage if it doesn't bother you in your day-to-day -day life? I said, but if there are things that that happen in our day-to-day -day life when we go through, and we may not think about it, but you ever have those experiences? I know I have. Everybody ain't like me, so I just say what I have. That I have dealt with some form of hidden grief that wasn't affecting my daily life, but I watch something on TV that shouldn't bother me, and all of a sudden I'm crying uncontrollably because what they display in that commercial is exactly what I was denying. And now all of a sudden, I can't control my tears because there is grief as a result of this. So the question, the answer to the question is, just because something is not affecting your daily life and you have not dealt with it, it's still baggage. The, uh, what was that movie? Analyze this. Anybody see Analyze this? The mob boss kept breaking down every time he saw a commercial. The same commercial was dealing with the relationship between a father and his son because he hadn't dealt with the relationship between himself and his father. He had gone through life dealing with all his things, doing all his mob activities, but he hadn't dealt with the grief of his father being murdered in front of him or his, or his, his, uh, his he didn't stop or warn his dad of the impending murder. And every time he saw a commercial with the father and son, he broke down. That was baggage. And as the quote says, your heart is so heavy from what you have for not forgiven that you bear the offenses of another as if they were your own. And if you really put that to, to your own situation, you will even realize for yourself that there are times when you've been mad at somebody else and you realize they have lived their life and you're the one that's still caught up and tied up with the nonsense. You have borne 
their offenses that they were on, you were carrying these bags because you hadn't dealt with the, the forgiveness piece. I'm going to hold on. I told you before, for me, that I felt that if I held on to this anger and hostility, that was somehow going to make me dislike this person even more. And if I dislike them, then I don't have to forgive them. I don't have to pray for them. I don't have to do nothing for them. Which goes completely opposite of who I'm supposed to be as a Christian. Your heart is so heavy for what you have not forgiven that you bear the offenses of another as if they were your own. We have to let go and move past all this stuff. Uh, what forgiveness is, so we can make sure we're operating on a level playing field. In the Old Testament, when they the first two are Hebrew ways of describing forgiveness. To lift and carry away is the first. That when you, you, they describe our sin, that God lifts and carries away our sin. He said, as far as the east is from the west, I will not remember your sin no more. It is to lift and carry away. It is also in old Hebrew to release from a debt. You owe me, but I'm going to forgive you. And you are released. You no longer have to pay the price. That's uh, what we call what Jesus did. He paid the price. His blood had to be shed to pay the price. There had to be an atonement. And Jesus was that atonement. And the forgiveness was is that we are released from that debt. But yet we seem to go around want to charge interest on the debt people owe us. Uh, forgiveness is showing grace to one who has sinned greatly. Forgiveness is a gift from God in the form of Jesus sacrificing his life on Calvary. But more than anything else, forgiveness is a choice. We choose to forgive like we choose what shoes we put on. Like we choose to get angry. All the stuff that happens in our life does not warrant a response from us. But yet, things happen and we go off. We choose to go off. We've all been at that place where you've dealt with somebody and you chose not to go off. You might have been feeling it inside, but did better and cooler heads prevailed. You don't, I don't mind because you don't matter. Well, you say that? And we move past. We choose to not let this get to us. But we also choose to not forgive. Forgiveness is a choice. Uh, what forgiveness isn't. Forgiveness isn't denying that something happened that was wrong. Just because you forgive somebody does not mean they didn't do anything wrong. It means exactly they did. You have just chosen to forgive. For, uh, forgiveness isn't pretending that you weren't hurt by their actions. Yes, you hurt me. Yes, you did some damage to me. Yes, you did this and I'm feeling this and will deal with this for a while. But that because I forgive you doesn't mean that I'm not hurt. Forgiveness is not removing the consequences of their behavior. It is like as much as I, as much as I want to be that type of person who can sit here and, and, and tell a convicted murderer, I forgive you. If they have taken the life of a family member, even if I do it, it doesn't remove the consequences. My forgiveness of you committing a heinous crime does not mean that you should get the electric chair for what you did, if that's what the law says. 
I just don't know if I'm that person. <laughs> Forgiveness isn't condoning abuse. I don't, because I, I, I forgive you does not mean what you did is okay. And you cannot continue to do it. Uh, forgiveness isn't pretending you weren't hurt. And forgiveness certainly isn't letting others continually abuse you. I might forgive you, but I may also exit out of that relationship. I may forgive you, but you will no longer be a part of my life. Because you have not learned or accepted the fact that I have abused you or you have taken my forgiveness and saying that I wasn't hurt or that you were con uh, continue to do it. No, no, no. That's not what forgiveness is. Now, how do you know when you were forgiven somebody? If the act no longer consumes your thoughts. And all of us, maybe it's just me, but I've been in that place where day and night, I'm focusing on what happened. Everything is a reminder of the pain that I'm going through. Walking out the door, turning on the TV, waking up in the morning, reminder. If everything consumes your thoughts, you haven't moved on. You might sit here and say, I forgave them. But if you consume with the thought, you haven't moved on. You know you've forgiven them when you no longer can discuss the pain. Unless you're telling somebody about it to learn from your example. This is not something, you know, that so-and-so did this. Every time I see a little raggedy, <laughs> if you can stop discussing them and the situation, you moved on. Uh, if you no longer have the need for revenge, which is hard because you know we, we are some vindictive people. I, I can't let you slide with that one, Chief. You're going to pay, and I'm going to be right there when it happens, watching so you know, not only did you get it, but I'm the one that did it to you. You no longer live in bitterness or anger or resentment. You ever, you ever see these, these people and when you're really mad at them and uh, their life is moving on and everything they have, you're mad about them. How they doing this and I can't? Why are they living there and I'm here? How's all this stuff happening in life? And I'm sitting around here just wallowing in my misery. You haven't forgiven. Without forgiveness, why it's so important for us, there is no peace. If you think you have peace, because today you're good, this week you're good, but that commercial comes on TV, or somebody at work starts talking to you about their relationship with their kid and how good it is and your relationship is fractured and then you start feeling depressed, that's not peace. If you can't watch a Christmas program or when the holidays come and you're mad and, and stressed out because of what's happening, that's not peace. There is no freedom without forgiveness because as long as you are walking around with that baggage, you are continually tied to that person or that situation because you're carrying it around with you. And we're supposed to be free. Jesus said he came to set the captives free and we're walking around with our chain and the ball with it. There is no recovery for yourself. There is no healing without forgiveness. And more importantly for us, there is no love. You may say you love folks, but if you have no forgiveness, there is no love. David wrote Psalm 133 through 4. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, if you should keep tally and track of what we've done, who could stand? 
but there is forgiveness with you. He straight out said, you think about it in this context. If I'm standing in front of God and he sit there with the tally of everything I've done, I couldn't stand in front of him. You couldn't stand in front of him. But there is forgiveness with God. There has to be forgiveness with us. Martin Luther King said, we must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. How are you claiming that you're going to love God and love your brother if you have not forgiven anybody? If you do not have the power to forgive, you do not have the power to love. And if we're talking about having revolutionary love in our lives and transformative love and intentional and passionate love in our lives, then we have to have the power to forgive. And it will get hard because it ain't easy to forgive folk who hurt you. It's hard to forgive stuff that's happening in the world today. And you think about, we have this, this you have people I try not to go political, but it just drives me crazy. You got people who are supporting this president. I'm sorry, Steve, I know that's your boy. <laughs> he does that every time. <laughs> it is hard to sit here and have people support this man. I, I just, my mom even told me today, she said, why are you still dealing with this dude? Because he actually told me on a post that named something Rush Limbaugh said racist. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Literally, are you kidding me? This is a man who has made an entire career of being racist and propagating racist themes. He has made a fortune riling up a certain segment of the population into that state of mind. And because he's got that one, God, Lord of God. <laughs> He got that one sellout Negro that answers the phones for him who will sit up there and Uncle Tom for his butt talking about he has never seen a racist thing and then put that in front of me and say, well, see, here's the black guy that says he's not racist. I had to text him. I said, don't you know they had black overseers on the slave plantation? Just because somebody black don't mean that he thinks like a black man. I got off topic. <laughs> oh, no. It's forgiveness. You gotta forgive him. You gotta forgive. But wow, this is hard to sit around here and think I'm gonna forgive somebody who was willingly overlooking the things this man has done and said his entire life. It is hard to get to this place to forgive somebody like that. But Martin Luther King, even though he's not God, is saying that we have to be have the, the capacity to forgive because if we don't have the capacity to forgive, we won't have the power to love. So in John's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 34 through 35, Jesus is telling us, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the part he's telling us, my love and my redemption, the forgiveness of your sins go hand in hand. And because I have loved you and shown you what love is, you've got to love people the same way I loved you. 
That includes grace, mercy, and redemptive love. Because if you do that, then everybody who knows you will see that you are my, son, my disciples. But it's only if we love one another. But you cannot love if you won't forgive. And forgiveness is hard. So when forgiveness gets hard, remember, it doesn't justify them. It releases you. This here again, this is not one of those things that's going to be easy. This is not uh, uh, something that you could just say, oh, okay, Pastor Ron said it, so it's going to be okay. No, this, this takes struggle. You will have to intentionally say to yourself, this doesn't justify them. I'm choosing not to move this stuff to a bigger bag. I'm getting rid of it. You have to choose to do that. Luke 6, 35 and 36. Luke 6, chapter 6, verse 35 and 36. Love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Isn't that hard to accept that God is actually kind to evil folk? Jeffrey Dahmer received the kindness of God. Donald Trump received the kindness of God. I'm sorry, Steve. Therefore, be merciful, just as your father is also merciful. I'm going to leave you alone, Steve. <laughs> Mercy is something he's given us, the forgiveness uh, to get past all this stuff. And he's saying you have to do it. Because you'll be my son. You'll be my daughter. Because God is kind and unthankful to the thankful. He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Which means we have to be kind. I got to be nice to Donald Trump and people who like Donald Trump. Therefore be merciful just as your father also is merciful. Forgiving someone is making a decision to choose mercy and grace. You are choosing to forgive because you are choosing mercy and grace over bitterness and resentment. Bitterness and resentment is something that is too great to carry around. Bitterness, you know what stuff bitter tastes like. This is how we're living life, like sucking on a lemon. Well, that's sour. What's bitter? Well, to me, it's the same thing because I can't suck on a lemon. I know some folks love sucking on lemons, but it ain't me. You're choosing to live a better life. You're choosing to wallow in resentment instead of choosing grace and mercy. To love God is to cooperate with his grace. You mean I got to forgive this person? I actually have to trust God enough that God is going to do what he says? That I have to cooperate with this even though it goes against everything inside me? My nature does not say at me, again, me as an individual, my nature does not allow me to extend grace to people who try to hurt me. My nature does not allow me to just willingly and openly forgive folks who are foul. But it is a choice that I'm making to hold on to it. But when I hold on to it, I'm choosing bitterness and resentment. I am choosing to move from the duffel bag to the carry-on. Instead of going from a carry-on, uh, from the double bag to a backpack. 
We must be aware as individuals. See, this is the, the transformation piece that we were supposed to do in 2019, that when you look at yourself in the mirror and you realize, I'm messed up. There's stuff wrong with me. I need God's grace in my life. And when you become aware of your own need of grace, now you've got to extend grace to other people. That's the hard part. Because what I need grace for is not the same thing as you need grace. Because your grace is too much. I only need this much. You need about a gallon. <laughs> Truth be told, though, you needed 15 gallons. And you walking around thinking because you're so nice and you're so sweet, you got a drink box full of grace and somebody else needs a whole pitcher full of grace and you're not willing to extend it. But God has been pouring grace into you constantly over and over again. And when you are aware of your own need for grace, you are willing to extend grace to other people. This is what grace looks like. Luke chapter 6, 27 28, he says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. That's what grace looks like. Have you actually prayed for those who hurt you? I mean, literally, someone who has said the worst things they have ever said, someone who has done the worst action they ever have, have you ever prayed for them? I did one time, and it hurt. <laughs> I spent more time on my knees crying, not because I had forgiven them, but because I find just like I just can't do it. I can't find the words, God. God, help me get to this place where I will forgive this person and trust you. I stayed down on the floor for about 30 minutes. I could barely get up. My knees were hurting. Legs were fro uh, 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 numb. Because I couldn't bring myself to that place that I will forgive and pray for them until I finally got it done. And I was like, Lord, if I, you know, that's the only way I'm going to be able to get up. I had decided that day I am going to pray for this situation. And I said, I'm not getting up until I do it. And if I had just broken down and did it at first, I could have been done in five minutes. But instead, I think it was 35, 40 minutes later with sore knees and stiff joints when I finally got myself up off the floor after having prayed for this situation. But he's saying, this is what grace is. Pray, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully hurt you. And you know how people used to say, uh, you know, I blessed them out. <laughs> When you extended God's blessings to them? Oh, no, no, no. I told them about themselves. Well, that ain't blessing somebody. <laughs> Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. It's funny. It was always these old ladies that was blessing somebody out. <laughs> I mean, my, my grandmother, who I regarded as a saint, told me one time that she had blessed somebody out. I'm like, dear? <laughs> When forgiveness gets hard, the second thing, remember it's, per it's not personal, it's spiritual. Yeah. That's the hard part. It's not personal, it's spiritual. Paul told us in Ephesians 6, 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. 
He has gained a foothold into the people we love, into the situations in our lives, and he is moving in that. This is exactly when we were talking about the baggage, and when you are carrying around baggage, you are susceptible to demonic influence. Because it makes no sense for a parent to turn their back on a child. That's not logical. It makes no sense for families to be at odds with each other. We're supposed to love each other. This is blood you're talking about. And when you have a situation where family, father has turned against son, mother against daughter, that is not flesh, that's spiritual. The baggage somebody is carrying around has allowed the enemy to get in, gain a foothold, and gain that influence. Remember we were talking about that wedge, we have allowed the, the baggage to drive a wedge between us and our relationship with God. And the more baggage we carry, the, big, the wider the wedge, and the wider the wedge, the greater the influence of the enemy. And when you're sitting there and you're dealing with nonsense, you have to realize this is a spiritual battle that we're fighting. It makes no sense that a reasonable, rational man will look at Rush Limbaugh and tell me he's not racist. That's not reasonable. And I can find person after person after person who will say, how do you not see this? And it's not because they're black. There are a whole lot of white folks who see the same thing. They sat there and saw that thing and said, how do you have a hundred-year-old war hero, a hundred-year-old veteran who has served this country faithfully his entire career, rose to the ranks of colonel, and yet you give the highest civilian honor to an avowed racist, draft-dodging, drug-taking racist? How do you do that? How do you do that? And Lord God, how do I look past that? But the thing is, a rational person who does not see that and see it as okay, and just they're not operating in good sense. That is spiritual battle that we are fighting. You are wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age. He says spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is beyond, what did that dude say? It's, it's beyond me. It's above me now. This battle is above us. And we're sitting here fighting and getting mad at stuff we can't fight. I can't get mad at my children do something that really does not make sense. Really does not? Daniel. I had to find somebody else since I said I was going to leave Steve. So. <laughs> if she starts cutting up, that's spiritual. That ain't good. Because she has demonstrated her whole life that she is a sweet woman. Well, she's a woman now, but she was a sweet little girl who grew into a sweet woman. So if something comes up now, that ain't female. That's spiritual. That is a spiritual matter. So I can't sit around here carrying around the guilt. And, and, and shame and, or whatever else I'm putting in this baggage because now all of a sudden the relationship is fractured and I'm wondering what happened it's spiritual last thing when forgiveness gets hard remember forgiveness releases the offense into God's hands so you can be healed see we, we walk around with this stuff when you keep taking stuff from the backpack to the duffel, the duffel to the carry-on, the carry-on to the oversized bag, you are not being healed. We have literally have 
spiritual back pain from carrying all this stuff around, limping because my feet hurt, can't bend over because my knees are aching, and God is waiting to heal us. Forgiveness releases it to God that you don't have to fight it. Isaiah 26, 3, he said, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Perfect peace. We have to remember that this is not about anything. It's not about this person. It's not about anything else. This is about my healing. This is about my restoration. This is about peace returning to my life. I'm turning this over to God because God is the only one who can deal with this hurt. And if I give it to him, then I can start to be healed. Then I can, if I start being healing, now I can start extending some grace to people. You've got to understand, this is hard. This is a hard battle to fight. But you've got to remember, it is not about weakness. It is not about giving anybody power. It is about turning it to God so he can heal you. Revelation 21.4 says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, nor the former things, for the former things have passed away. You're walking around with all this stuff, and God has put a thing, had a situation created just for you to bring this stuff, because he said, if you bring it to me, I will wipe away all your pain, all your sorrow, everything that's happened in your life, I don't care how hard it is, I'm here to restore you. I'm here to restore you. I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you grow. I'm extending this mercy to you so that you may extend mercy to other people. Remember in that, our, our theme chapter, whenever you stand praying, the assumption is that you are going to pray. The assumption is that when you're going through some stuff, that you're going to pray. And he tells us specifically, whenever you stand praying, if you have an offense, move past it. Because if you move past all this stuff, when you pray, I'm going to move past all your stuff. He tells us in Matthew 11, one of my favorite verses, Matthew 11, verse 28 and 29. Because we talked about this with this baggage that we've been carrying around, trying to get rid of this emotional baggage. Jesus said, I got the answer for you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me. Whatever you're carrying, I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me because I am gentle and humble or humble and gentle. For my burden is easy and my yoke is light. But he ends it by saying, and you will find rest for your soul. When he tells us you go have rest for your soul, this is not just a good night's sleep. This is peace in your life. This is the kind of stuff where you have joy in the midst of sorrow. Where whatever's going on around, you'll be posted up at the bottom of the boat like Jesus and the storm is raging. And you just, I'm good. 
I will give you rest for your soul. Why are we turning away rest to carry around duffel bags full of emotion, full of anger and hurt, bitterness and resentment? When God said, take my yoke, turn this thing. Dude, you don't have to plow this field. Take this. I'll do it for you. My burden is easy and my yoke is light. And I'm going to give you rest. Forgiveness is hard. It's hard, hard work. Being a Christian is hard. If you're doing Christian walk. It ain't supposed to be easy. If it was actually easy, everybody would be doing it. If God just came down here right now and, and showed himself, everybody would turn like that and say, oh, you're real. Oh, okay, I don't need to worry about this faith thing. I see you now. If it was easy, everybody would do it. If forgiveness was easy, we'd all be doing it. The very fact that it is difficult is the reason why we have to trust God and do it anyway. You can't do it on your own. You have to come to God. When he said, whenever you stand praying, the assumption is you are coming to him praying, asking him to help you with this. And he said in that last one in Matthew, come to me. That's the prayer. Come to me. Give all this stuff to me and I will show you what it means to be. Get rid of this burden. And on top of that, I'm going to give you rest for your soul. That means, I mean, keep in mind, well, let me close, let me close. He's going to give us rest. If we trust him, believe him, and know that this is hard, but it's going to be worth it in the end. Amen? Amen. Father God, in the name of Jesus.